Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. In my many years of preaching now, I've always found that Palm Sunday is a challenging message. It's not challenging to tell the story, it's challenging to know which part of the story to tell. Because today, which has been a wonderful day of celebration for our church, there is a lot to celebrate about the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. There's a lot to celebrate. But until we meet again as a congregation on Easter Sunday, there are a lot of things that happened that we don't feel very much like celebrating on Thursday and Thursday night and Friday morning. We know that by the time we get to Friday, by three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus had finally died at the hands of cruel people but who also were doing God's bidding without ever possibly knowing that that's what their mission was, to to slay the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so do we talk about the Palm Sunday joy when people were saying, Hail Jesus, Hail King of the Jews, or do we flash forward to the end of the week? Well, I'm going to try to do both, so let's get started. Wopsle and Joe Scruggs have um, preceded this message with a reference to Luke chapter 9, verse 52. It's actually 9, 51, and 52. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. At the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, this resolve to us, as it appears in this middle section of Luke, it doesn't quite catch our attention completely because so he's resolved to go to Jerusalem. Well, this day is about that resolve to go to Jerusalem. This day is what he resolved to come into Jerusalem for. This Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus could look back on and says, I set my face to do this, and now it's time. Jesus knew what was coming. In between his resolve and the torture that would await him at the end of this week, he did a lot of wonderful things. He healed numerous people. He preached amazing messages. He told stories through the parables that were profound and still live just with this, almost this element of mystery as we seek to understand the principles of all of those parables. But this was the day that his resolve had taken him to. What he came to do and what he did was to not just preach the words of eternal life wherever he went, which he had been doing, But now, he comes to this day, and I want to take a look at this day as well as the other two days of this week that we remember. So we begin with the Palm Sunday events. In Mark's gospel, of the account of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, 
we hear this description. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Bethany and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. That doesn't mean a lot to us. As they approached Bethphage and Bethany, and then they went over the Mount of Olives. What's that about? Why does Mark offer that detail? Well, that detail is very important because we need to linger on this one just for a moment. This, this is, Jesus is coming from the east. There's another amazing fact about his entry that I'll also get to. But this coming from the east was predicted a long, long time ago. This was predicted hundreds of years before the events of Palm Sunday happened. Something happened amazingly as recorded in the 10th chapter of the book of Ezekiel of the Old Testament. In chapter 10, verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. Now I want you to get a mental picture of this. Here's the temple, the holy place of God. This is where God's people went for the sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. That didn't just happen on the Sabbath day, that happened every day. This temple was this buzzing place of people in prayer and people making sacrifices and animals that were fit for the sacrifice. Here was this amazing, busy place. And in the midst of this place, amidst of this holy place, the very temple of God in Jerusalem, this text from Ezekiel announces that the Spirit of God had just left the building. He's gone. Now, he didn't go far. The text said he went, instead of hovering over the temple, where for hundreds of years the Spirit of God had, had dwelled, the Spirit now leaves the temple, and it just goes a couple of miles to the east, and it hovers over the Mount of Olives, which is this beautiful big hill that circles that part of the city of Jerusalem. Now it's just hovering there. It's left the temple, and it's just hovering over that Mount of Olives. And it hovers over that threshold of the, of, it's gone from the threshold of the temple to hovering just over the mountain. God's people had been so long and so gravely sinful that the glory of God had left the temple. That's the reason why. The Spirit got up and moved because the people of God had begun to practice a rote religion. The Hebrew word for this glory of God, most people say it's Shekinah, I learned it as Shekinah, but then my Hebrew's not very good. So I'll say it either way, but it's the same thing. The Shekinah, the Shekinah glory has just left the temple. It's gone. It moved just a few miles away. But the spirit of the Shekiniah glory of God is now hovering over the Mount of Olives, which is east of the temple area. It's east of the temple area. It's near Bethany and Bethphage. And then in chapter 43 of Ezekiel, there was a prophecy of the return of the glory of God, the Shekinah, the, the promise of the return 
of the glory of God back to the temple. Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 through 2. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east. This is a vision. And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. So the glory of the Lord that had left, that Ezekiel told us about, Ezekiel goes on to say, but that glory will come back. The glory will come back to the temple. And that glory isn't going to look like it looked like the first time, which was great. But it's not going to look like the glory of the first time. This time, it's going to come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Heaven and earth have melded together. The Shechaniah glory of God is riding over the Mount of Olives on Palm Sunday, riding on the foal of a donkey. And he's riding in, not just as a man who's facing a very challenging week, he's riding in as the very glory of the living God. And there he is. He's coming in the very glory of God, the promised return of the glory of God to the temple of God. Heaven and earth had merged in the person of Jesus. For the first time, heaven and earth have merged in a human person who was also fully God. The two have come together. God and human beings have now merged into one. And he's riding through Bethany, through Bethphage, over the Mount of Olives, comes the King of Kings. There's one more prophetic detail that is important to hear. And actually, there are many prophetic details in the Old Testament about this. But this one comes from the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. That's the strange part about this. Zechariah prophesied that's the way he would come, but that's not the way the people had hoped or would understand it. They had a picture in their mind that when the Messiah would come, when the one who would come, who would overthrow the, the, the ruthless Roman armies and the occupation they lived under, they had assumed that he would come in like a Roman conquering general. They assumed he would come in on a white stallion with a great fanfare and trumpeters and people in front and back escorting him into the place of Jerusalem to the Holy of Holies. And there he would take charge and would overthrow the oppressors and all would be well. And Jesus comes in on a little colt. He comes in on a little colt. He comes in humbly and meekly. But that's the way it was prophesied to be. And God's promises always come true. The gospel writers tell us that when Jesus came in, he arrived into Jerusalem from the east, as was prophesied, riding a young donkey, which was prophesied. 
Conquering armies had come into Jerusalem all the time. I mean, even in modern day, you see these conquering armies trying to capture Jerusalem. Their generals had come with pomp and all this ceremony, and Jesus comes in just riding the colt of a donkey. Hundreds of years had gone by. Hundreds of years had gone with the spirit parked a few miles away from the temple. And on this day, the spirit of God, the Shekinah, the Shekiniah of God is now resting where it belongs. So that's the Palm Sunday piece of this message. So fast forward with me to the events of the end of the week. We know the story. Jesus was arrested, having been betrayed by Judas after the Last Supper. One of his own disciples who had betrayed him to the authorities and said, that's where he is. The authorities arrested him. Peter was also challenged by the authorities to proclaim his allegiance to this Jesus. Peter denied the Lord that he had loved. And then in Luke twenty-two sixty-three and following, we read the story of the mocking and the betrayal and the beating that the men who had been guarding Jesus had put him through. They put on a blindfold on Jesus and they began to taunt him. And they began to, to harass him and continued beating him. And ironically, and I don't think this is a missed signal, I think Luke gets it. Luke says, they said, prophesy, prophesy, who hit you? If only they had known how many prophecies had been fulfilled to make this day happen. If only they had understood the prophecy of his very presence. So at daybreak on Friday, appearing first to the religious leaders, then to Pilate, then to Herod, then back to Pilate, Jesus sequentially acknowledges himself to be the Messiah. Now, the truth is, we even have in our Apostles' Creed, the creed of the ancient church, we even say he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. It's absolutely true, he was. And part of me dis despises Pontius Pilate for his weakness and his timidity and his, all the things that are bad about him. But I gotta tell you, I kinda feel bad for him. I mean, he's in a, he's in a tough spot. Does he pronounce guilt over this man and, and make many of the religious leaders and many of the other people happy? Or does he pronounce innocence over what was obviously to him an innocent man and then incur the wrath of many other people who wanted him killed? So Pilate handles it poorly, ineptly, but that's about the only way he could have figured to have played it. So Pilate does what he can do to turf him to someone else, to wash his hands of the situation, to make it just sort of go away. He just wanted this situation to go away. And so this one whom the people have shouted out, Hail Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. Pilate tries a, a method. He has him beaten and then beaten again and put in custody. So Jesus has gone from hail to jail and to beatings and custody and whippings and torture. There's no other way to say it. That's what happened. 
And finally, as you remember the story, Pilate just gives in. He finally gives the crowd a choice. Do you want Barabbas? I think really hoping they would say, we, we want to save Jesus. Instead, they voted to save a man named Barabbas, a common criminal, and Jesus was sentenced to death on a cross. So at daybreak on Friday, all of these events begin to unfold. Pilate wants out of the situation, but he can't figure out how to get himself extricated. In the end, he just yields to the angry mob. And that Friday, the worst thing that could have happened, a crucifixion, happened to the best and most innocent man who ever lived. So if you think about the procession, the progression of the weeks of this, of this Sunday, you have hailed Jesus, King of the Jews, King to rescue us from these awful people who have got us beaten into submission. Hail Jesus, to jail Jesus and beat him, and finally to nail Jesus and crucify him. And that's the end of the week. A tough, tough week to remember. It's odd. In many ways, there was no one person responsible for the death of Jesus. And yet there were many who were responsible. And yes, we were responsible. God had to find a way for the sins of humanity to be reckoned with, for the sins of humanity to be paid for, for the sins of humanity to be redeemed. A sacrifice had to be made. Jesus was not caught unaware of this. This was no great surprise to him. He understood what was going to unfold. He knew it from the moment of his incarnation. He knew it before he left his place in heaven in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He knew, he knew that once he relinquished his prerogatives to be dwelling in heaven as the very son of the living God, he knew when he voluntarily let that go that this day would await him. He knew that, and yet he went through it. And he rode from the east, and he rode on a little donkey. He knew it standing before Pilate. If, I suppose if you were to ask the question, if a skeptic of the faith were to ask, well, maybe he could have talked his way out of it. He might could have, but he chose not to. He might could have, but he chose not to. And he chose not to because of you and me, and everybody else in this whole wide world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's what this day is about. That's what this week is about. And so Jesus was crucified, bearing every physical and emotional pain that any of us would ever feel, multiplied by the weight of all of our sins. That's what this week is about. So I have two closing thoughts. 
One is really for those who are followers of Jesus. Don't rush to Easter Sunday. We know it'll happen. We'll meet here in a week. We will meet at the same times. We will have an overflowing church. We will meet here. We will rejoice because the Easter message is the most important message of the whole Christian gospel. We will meet here and we will rejoice. We'll have every right and reason to rejoice and to be deliriously happy in our souls. But don't go there quite yet because there's still Thursday and there's still Friday. And I would ask you just to linger with this a little bit. Linger with this this week. Linger with it Thursday night if we're together, as we're together for this meal and concert. Linger with it in your own way, however you choose to do so. Linger with it Friday. Just remember the sacrifice. Remember the promises kept, but remember the sacrifice. And if you find yourself remembering and it touches the nerves of some broken or wounded places in your own life, just know that those wounds, those wounds were multiplied many, many fold for Jesus. And remember in those wounds that you might remember, the Lord Jesus is ready to rush in. You know, it's amazing when you think about the things we pray about, ask God for help for. A lot of times the things we pray about and hope for and ask God to help us deal with, a lot of times we don't get an answer just right away. Well, it, it took hundreds of years for this answer of salvation to unfold. It took hundreds of years for the one writing from the East to come to our salvation. Let me just put it this way. God's timing is always perfect and it will always be perfect in your own life. And the second thing I would say would be to those who frankly are not followers of Jesus and you feel like you're a little bit on the outside looking in. I just want you to remember a long time ago, a long time ago before Jesus went to Jerusalem, before Jesus was even born into this world, the prophets at old had predicted that this day would happen, that the glory of God would be united in a human being, that God and the human being would be joined together as the perfect, the perfect answer from the problems that vex humanity the problems and pains and sins that vex all of us. God had you in mind 2,000 years ago. God had you in mind even before that. Jesus hanging on that cross had all of you in mind. But if you've yet to say yes to him, just know that he had your name on his lips too. And Jesus wants to embrace you in the embrace of the cross. I pray you will fall into his loving, loving embrace. Let's pray. Loving God, for who you are, 
for what you have done, for the joy of this day and for the pain of this day, for the the manifold ways in which you worked from this day until Resurrection Sunday. We give you thanks. We sit back with a sense of awe and wonder, how could you do such things? How could you do them for us? All we can say, God, is thank you. Thank you. Through the name of the one who pulled together God and humanity into one flesh, we give you thanks in his name. Amen.